Well, good morning. All right, I'm excited. It's a long chapter to cover, but you can see it's all one story. So we kind of had to stick with the story today. I wanted you guys to be able to see it all the way through. And so before we jump into this, I just want to say two things. One, um, Corey, are you still in here? Right there, hide behind Sarah. Um, Corey and the outreach team, can we just give them a round of applause for yesterday, if you, even if you weren't there? Thank you so much. Um, it, I just want to say, if you weren't there, it was a fantastic day. Like, um, I, I think at least in John B. Hughes, and we want to spread that to the rest of Tom Watkins, um, people are starting to come out again. People are showing up. A bunch of people came out. I, how many, we had two, two divisions for the pig tournament that I didn't win. And Larry didn't win this year either because he didn't even do it. I don't know what was wrong with Larry. He didn't even do it this year. But anyway, he was the champ from last year, and he didn't even do it. But anyway, he wanted to hold on to his title like forever. You could say I'm a champion. That's, that's fine. But um, we had probably a dozen kids on the 12 and under, which is what we expected to be big. But um, David Anderson's not in here today. But I think we had like 30 people on 13 and up. Like in the adult division, we had like 30 people come out in the pig tournament. It was awesome. And so one of the things that I saw yesterday is that we do need to be more bold in our conversations. Absolutely. But we have to have the people come out and trust us and build relationships before those, before those, that bold conversation is going to stick anyway. And you can see the trust that they're beginning to have for us and the joy that was that day. Man, I, 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 I'm going to be real frank, really honest. Um, I have family in from town, from out of town. And all of the family were at our house. And so I didn't even know if I was going to be able to come. And so with everything we've had going on and with people in our home, I didn't really feel like going yesterday. Can, can we be honest about things like that? Like, it's, it's okay if some days when we have something planned for the church or even life group or whatever, you're like, oh, I just don't have the energy today. But I was like, man, I don't have, to have the energy to go today. Um, my wife and I may have had a conversation like that. I'm not, don't, no, she didn't, but, but I did. I felt that way. And I went, and it's just like, it's just like when I go to life group when I'm, I feel like I'm too tired. I went, and man, I had, it was so much fun. I had, I just had a blast, had so many good conversations. People from John B. Hughes, but also some guys from Victory Mission came out, had great conversations with the guys from Victory Mission, with kids, with adults, with parents. It was just an awesome relationship building type of thing that we want to eventually lead to sharing the gospel with people and inviting them into our family. And that's why we're really trying to align other things like church in the park with block parties, right? Show up at a block party and then we'll have church in the park on the next Sunday so we can build relationships. And it's not always inviting people to church, but that is an avenue, right? So we meet people in the neighborhood, invite them to church, and they, they get to hear the gospel, whether from you or from me or just amongst the family. And so, I mean, I just felt like yesterday was a big, big step in the right direction, plus it was a beautiful day. So thank you to everyone who came out, and a bunch of you came out yesterday, and we just had a really great time. So thank you, thank you for that. Secondly, I've noticed a lot of the families at the beginning of service, not this one, thankfully, have been like back on the bleachers. And we don't want people on the bleachers. We want everybody here as a family together. And so what we did this week is we actually set out more chairs so families didn't feel like they had to stand in the back because what we didn't account for is all the extra kids that were going to be in the service the first few weeks. So sorry for that. Um, and so we were really counting adults, but we want all the kids in here during worship, right? So we set out quite a few more chairs today, and it looked like it worked because all of you kind of were able to come down and sit down with your families. And just so we'll keep setting out those chairs so that we can all sit up here together. But I know some of you, especially with babies and stuff, like you, you need to be in the back. You need to walk babies around or whatever. Totally get it. But I want us to be as, as close and as much of a family um, as we can be. So that's why we did that. We set out almost all the chairs, except did you guys notice all the chairs up here? We missed those setting those up today. I don't know what those are doing there. But anyway, um, we had enough today. So let's jump right into it. So next week is what? 
Easter. Isn't it crazy that Easter is next week? It snuck up on me. And so next week's Easter, and I was talking about this with Noah before the service. It seems like God does this every single year. Next year, we're not going to leave John. We're not going to jump out of John. We're going to be in chapter 10 of John next week. And it ended up just being the perfect text for Easter. I mean, just looking at it, it talks about Jesus' death and his resurrection and all of this stuff. The Good Shepherd text, it's the perfect text. God just does that. That's four years in a row. We didn't jump out of our series, but a text for Easter just came out perfectly. Um, amazing. Amazing what God does. And so that's going to be next week. But in a roundabout way, I think we have a text that sets us up for that this week perfectly. Because um, as, as we move forward with, with all of the stuff that we've had going on, as we're moving forward as a church and moving to a new building, um, we didn't really have the, the, the place to plan a Good Friday service. Like the last three or four years, we've done a Good Friday service, and I want to do those in the future, but we can't get Williams on Friday, right? And with the move and everything else that was going on in John B. Hughes, we're not having a service. So today kind of becomes our Good Friday service. And as God does, um, I didn't know it when I first started this week, but this text actually lines up. Um, for Good Friday too. And so if you're kind of newer to the church, Good Friday is the day that we celebrate the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We remember, we honor, we worship Christ for what he did on that Friday. He's crucified on a Friday 2,000 years ago. And so today our text doesn't really seem like a Good Friday text on the surface, but you're gonna, I think you're going to see pretty quickly um, that it, it actually points straight to the cross. And so it's going to work out great. Kind of the theme of today is about being blind. You know, you read the text with us, you could probably see what I'm talking about. And, and we do have a literal blind man, and we're going to talk about the literal blind man. But, but the healing of this man, in the healing of this man, I don't think Jesus is really trying primarily to draw our, our attention to his power over creation, being able to heal man. I don't think he's primarily trying to draw our attention to his authority over the Sabbath, or even primarily drawing his attention to the Pharisees, like the evil of the Pharisees, the sinfulness of these religious leaders and the darkness inside of them. Um, Obviously, he's going to do all of those things. You read the text with me. But this is Jesus' sixth of his seven great miracles in the book of John that point to who he really is. There's seven of these. This is the sixth one. And what I think Jesus is really trying to tell us today is, I came for those who are blind. I came for those who are blind. Those who are lost in the darkness. Those who see and respond to their Savior when, once they encounter the light. That's what today is about. But it's also about this, for those who reject the light, for those who think they can see already and they don't need him, they are the ones in the end that are going to be pro proven to be actually blind. That's where we're going today. Church, Good Friday is about worshiping Christ for what he did on the cross, but it's also about feeling the weight and the cost of sin. And we need to feel the weight of sin. We need to feel the cost of our sin. Without understanding the desperate cost and the penalty of sin, we can't possibly understand the glory and the beauty of his resurrection, the beauty that our Savior is not dead. And so this week, we're really going to see the desperate cost of sin. And that's, as you always hear me say, that's the bad news, right? We need to feel that weight, the bad news, so that next week, next week, we might feel the joy and the majesty, and man, I'm telling you, the glory of the good news, the glory that our Savior is not dead, that He is alive. That's what we'll celebrate next week. And so today, through Christ's judgment of the religious leaders who think they can already see, and through His deep love and kindness for a man born blind who in the end proves that He knows that He can't see, we're going to see the seriousness and the beauty of the gospel. And I just can't wait to go through it together. It's been two weeks since I preached. I hope you guys are ready. Um, let's dive into chapter 9. 
Read with me in verse 1 again, chapter 9, verse 1, and we'll read the first five verses. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So it was actually common during this time for Jews to think that people suffering, that their disabilities were either caused by their own sin or caused by generational sin, meaning their parents or their grandparents, that sin that was passed down to them, and that's why they have um, the situation that they, they are in. Now, although that, that Jesus kind of makes it clear earlier in John that that can sometimes be true, sometimes our sin is or sometimes our suffering is a result of our own sin, and some of you have experienced that in your own life, right? Sin, suffering in your life has been caused by your own sin. Um, Jesus makes it clear that that has nothing to do with this case. This man's suffering is not because of something he did wrong or his parents' sin or anything else. It's because God is going to use his suffering to display his glory. That's the reason for this. Now, I know a lot of us sometimes have struggle with this. Sometimes some of us fully embrace this. But isn't that the truth in all of our lives? God uses our suffering. He uses our struggles to draw us closer to him. He uses it to refine us and to sanctify us and to grow us and sometimes even do miraculous things through us to display his glory through the world. God uses our suffering all the time to draw us in. Most people's stories, not all people's stories, but most people's stories who you talk to who were, who were wayward, who were going the wrong way, suffering had a piece in that, in that puzzle that brought them back to Christ and realized how much they, need, they needed him. Sometimes without our faith being tested through suffering, we don't know what our faith really is. We see that again and again, and God uses that for his glory. But also read, read Romans 5. I think in the end is one of the most encouraging passages for suffering in the Bible, how God uses our suffering in the end to give us hope and to realize that his love has been poured into our hearts so, that, so his love cannot and our hope cannot be put to shame because our Savior is with us through it all. It's such a great text. If you want to learn more about suffering, go to Romans chapter 5. And then Jesus says something that carries so much weight and so much depth, depth, but with such subtlety that we might just kind of skip by, might, might just skip by it and not see it at first. Because I don't even think his disciples really saw exactly what he was saying. Jesus basically says in verse 4, now is the time we must work. We must, right now, we must, we must do the work that my Father sent me to do for a time of darkness is coming when no work will be done. So what was the, the darkness that Jesus was referring to? What do you think? This is why I said this text points directly to the cross. The darkness he's referring to is the cross. That's right, him not being there anymore. He's going to be on the cross, and on that day, things are going to change. We see this. This is actually figurative, like figurative darkness is going to come, but it's also quite literal. In, in Luke 23, Jesus is hanging from the cross. In Luke 23, Jesus, about Jesus, it says this, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. Listen, the sun's light failed. Did you get that one, Dustin, up there? Luke 23? 
Sorry, yeah, while the sun's light failed. If you remember, this is, this is in the middle of the day, around the noon hour, that the sun went dark. There was darkness while Jesus was on the cross, while all of our sin, all of God's wrath was pouring out of him. The sky went dark. And this is the time that Jesus is referring to when his works would stop. When his, not only his works would stop while he hung on the cross to take the penalty for all of our sin, but his disciples would scatter. You know, later in the chapter, we're going to see this. His disciples scatter. They're not doing any work at all. Listen, this was a time when they felt lost. This was a time of darkness. Church, I want you to understand, without the resurrection, the cross is not a triumph. Without the resurrection, it is only devastation. It is only failure. It is only darkness. That's why you look and you read, the disciples felt like all hope was lost. Without resurrection, Paul says that, our, that we should be pitied among all people because our faith is nothing. It's just another guy claiming to be something special that, that was killed. Without the res- resurrection, we have nothing. And so before, while Jesus was dead, when all the work stopped, when the darkness fell, man, it felt hopeless. It felt hopeless. It felt like evil was going to triumph and these religious leaders that hated Jesus were going to win. What that moment really was, was a display of the evil of men. That, that darkness was a display of just how desperate our situation is without a Savior stepping into that darkness to save us. Because we like to give the religious leaders a hard time. We like to give sinners a hard time. But without Jesus Christ, we're all in the same boat. We've all acted in the same ways. And so when we understand the desperation of that darkness, what Christ says in verse 5 becomes all that more beautiful. But what does Jesus say in verse 5? As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light in the darkness. He is our hope in the devastation. He came to be the bread of life so that by accepting him, we might be saved. He came to give us living water so that by accepting that living water, then we might spring up inside of us into eternal life. He came to be the word of God so that we might actually know him, which is the thing in this whole series. He came to be the actual words of God so that we might know God. And he came to be our light so that through him, we might never be lost again. And so that we might be able to find our way through the darkness. He even says in this text, I don't know if you noticed, he said, while I am with you, I am the light. While I'm with you. Again, at the cross, there was going to be a time when the light seemingly went out. When all hope was seemingly lost. On Good Friday, when darkness fell, it seemed it was over, but it wasn't, was it? Not, not only, church, do we celebrate Easter for what Jesus did on the cross and that uh, Jesus was resurrected, but we also get to celebrate as believers in the New Testament church that 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 Holy Spirit is now with us, right? And so Jesus was resurrected and he ascended into heaven, but then he sent down the Holy Spirit with us so that we always have the light in us. What Romans 8 describes as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ, God's own Spirit is within us for all of those who believe. So the light can never be taken from us. The church, we have to live in that truth. The light can never be taken from you. So often, I talk about this all the time, I know, but you need to hear it. So often, we walk in the darkness. We walk in who we formerly were. We walk in the desires of the flesh. We idolize the wrong things. We make the, the, the wrong things ultimate in our lives. Or we just give in to the apathy or the struggle or the suffering of this world when we have the light in us. And so what we're going to see for the rest of this story is the hope of Christ's light displayed in the blind man. And, the de- and just the devastation and the evil of the darkness displayed in these religious leaders who, who have chosen their own path. So keep reading with me in verse 6. 
chapter 9, verse 6. Having said these things, he, Jesus, spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed, and he came back seeing. You know, people have all kinds of theories about why Jesus spit in the mud or spit in the dirt, made mud, and then rubbed that on the guy's eyes. Kind of weird, right? People have all kinds of theories. Do you know what my favorite one is? My favorite theory about why Jesus did this is that God created us out of the dirt, right? And when he created us out of the dirt in Genesis, when he created us out of the dirt, he created us in perfection. We were perfect. We were perfectly aligned with God. We had perfect harmony with him, and we were his perfect creation. And then what happened? Sin came and broke all of that. Sin came into the world. This is why this man is blind, because there is sin in the world, because the world's now broken because of our sin. And so when Jesus reached down into the dirt and spit into the dirt, it was him restoring back a little bit of what we lost when we were created out of dust and perfection. It was created in dirt out of perfection. It was him restoring a little bit of that back to this man, showing that he is the one who undoes the curse. He is the one who is going to bring back that perfection, bring back that glory that we were created in the first place. I love that explanation. And it might be right, but you know what the truth is? In the end, we don't know. We don't know why Jesus did this. I don't like to come up here and just tell you a good story. That might be right. I love it. But in the end, John doesn't tell us. And in the Gospel of John, if there's things that we need to know, John tells us. We're going to see it in just a minute. He tells us what we need to know. And so we can't go in assuming why, why we know why Jesus did this. But what we do know is that he rubbed the mud, he anointed his eyes with the mud, and then told him to go wash off in the pool of Siloam. And he did. And here's why I say John tells us what we need to know. When he tells us that he went to wash in the pool of Siloam, he tells us what the pool actually means. Siloam means it means scent. There's other times he talks about pools and he doesn't tell us what they mean. So if he's going to take the time to tell us what it means, it means it's important. And that means scent. When it talks about scent, who do you think that maybe that's talking about? Who's been sent? Jesus. It's a major theme in the book of John. Over and over, Jesus talks about my father who sent me, that I have been sent, that I do the work of my father. And so this is Jesus referring to the mission that he has been given. He is the one sent. He's the one sent to sustain us as the bread of life. He's the one to wash us clean with rivers of living water. He's the one sent to us to save us from our blindness so that we can walk out of the darkness into the light. And this is a picture of that. Because we see at the end of the chapter, Jesus makes it very clear that this is what this is really about. Him being sent to bring us out of the darkness. So with mud on his eyes, he goes to the pool. A blind man from birth. A beggar, we're seeing the story. A beggar his whole life. And he comes back a new man, fully restored through the power, the grace, and the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I know we hear things like this. This is his sixth of seven great miracles. And I, I think most of us read it and we kind of take it for granted. Yeah, Jesus did this, right? It's just like, yeah, this is something that Jesus would do. But I, I want you to see how shocking it really is. And we get to see the, the town, the, the village's reaction to what Jesus did, just did in verse 8 through 12. So read verse 8 through 12 with me. In chapter 9, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to, to Siloam and wash. So I, so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. 
Now, we could spend a lot of time in this part of the story, but we're not going to for the sake of time today. But I will say this. Um, it is a self-explanatory section of Scripture, but I want you to see that the people were so shocked by this that they were literally seeing the man that they'd seen begging. They all know this guy, right? He's the blind beggar, right? If you walk by the same guy every day, we're not, they weren't driving by in their cars, right? They walk by the same guy every day, the blind beggar. That's who this guy was. They're looking at him in the face. He's standing before them, and some of them are saying, no, 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 that, you're not that guy. What? Like, yeah, I'm the guy. They're like, no, you're not that guy. That, that guy's blind. You can't see. They've never seen anything like this before. We're going to see later in the text that even the blind man's going to say, nothing like this has ever happened before. They're so shocked by this. They're looking at the guy in the face saying, no, you're not him. He's like, no, I, I'm him, right? So much so that we're, what we're going to see in the next section is they take him, they go with him to the religious leaders because they're all blown away. They don't know what to do with this. Can you imagine if this happened in our church and nothing like this had ever been done before? We believe in the healing of God, right? We believe God can heal anyone. But like something like this in the Bible had never happened before. So they're shocked. So in verse 13, you see that they go to talk to the religious leaders about this. Look at verse 13. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this is this man, meaning Jesus, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Remember that. And there was division among the Pharisees. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. He is a prophet. Now, I don't think we really have to look at the people bringing this guy to the Pharisees as a bad thing. Remember, this is, all, this is Judaism. Their, their, whole, their, their whole country, their whole lives were centered around their faith, right? And so the Pharisees were some of their religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the others. They were their religious leaders. So if something was happening that they didn't understand, these are the people they, they would go to. I don't think they're throwing this guy under the bus. They're just like, help us understand what's happening, what's happening here. These are the people they trust. And I, I, let's... Let's just be honest. If you heard a story that a guy was blind and now he could see because a guy like basically rubbed mud pies on his eyes and told him to wash, you'd have some questions too. Like you'd be like, well, he did what? And he does, he, he, what? So yeah, of course they're going to have some questions. So now the religious leaders should have seen this and been amazed and praised God and worshiped and celebrated with this guy. I mean, this guy's life was hopeless and now he had hope. He'd been restored, but they didn't. They didn't celebrate. They weren't amazed. They, they, they didn't congratulate him. Why? Why didn't they? The Sabbath. Right? Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. And again, if you're new to this Christianity thing, the Sabbath was a very big deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It was a very big deal to the Jews. It was a time of rest when you weren't supposed to do work. And so Jesus rubbing mud on this guy's eyes was work. And so they couldn't celebrate. So they wouldn't celebrate. Does that remind of anyone of anything else that's happened in John? Does anybody, does anybody remember something else that happened in John that related to this? 
That's right. When he healed the lame guy who had, been, who had been able to walk for decades, and Jesus heals him and says, take up your bed and walk. You know, in that case, they should have celebrated. A um, guy, decades, could not walk. He healed him. But what did, they, what did they do? It says in John 5 that because he healed on the Sabbath and because he called God his father, they wanted to kill him. A man that couldn't walk for decades because he told him he healed him, which is work, And he said, pick up your bed and go home because he didn't need the bed anymore. They wanted to kill Jesus. Now, hear me. Jesus healing once on the Sabbath, we might be able to say was just like a a thing that happened. He just happened to do. He just happened to heal on the Sabbath. But this is the second time that John records that Jesus did one of his major miracles on a Sabbath. And these are just the ones that he records. There could have been a lot more. One time, maybe we could throw that away. But two times, we can't call that a coincidence. There's not coincidences in Scripture No, this is Jesus doing this on purpose. This is Jesus showing that he not only has the ability to heal the brokenness in our bodies because he has authority and power over creation, but he is showing us his power and authority to restore what is good and right and though it has been lost because of the sinfulness of man. And don't miss this. Because of the sinfulness of man, because of man like trying to create God in their own image, they have completely devastated what the Sabbath was supposed to be. The Sabbath was never meant to be a thing that you, d- you kept perfectly to prove your righteousness to everyone around you. It was never meant to be a burden to people. The Sabbath was a gift given by God so that we could find restoration spiritually and physically as we worshiped him. It was meant to be a day set aside, like today, I hope for a lot of you, set aside to worship our king so that he might restore you. Because how many of you, because so many of you know, if you're really tired one day and you sit and you watch Netflix for six hours, do you feel rested? No, you get to check out for a time, right? But at the end of that, you don't feel rested because God knows the only true rest we find is in him. He gave it to us as a gift and these men had made it a burden as a way to prove their own righteousness. And Jesus came to correct that so that we could be healed. It's what he does. So Jesus is not only correcting what is broken in this man and restoring him a little closer to the glory he was created in, but he's restoring good and right order to God's law if these men would just see. So men who should receive Jesus restoring right order in the world, restoring right order in God's law through the healing of this man should fall down and worship him. Instead, they only question and condemn. They don't rejoice with this man. They interrogate him. Just for a minute, feel like the weight of that, how, like how sad that is. But I mean, I want, I want, again, just not treat it like a story, but how sad it is. Like this guy had no, no hope but to beg every day so that he could be fed, so that he could live because he was born blind. And that time you're born blind, there is no hope. And he has been restored. It is amazing. God is amazing. Something to celebrate. And all they can do is interrogate him and argue about who Jesus really is. And man, it's tragic. It's tragic because so often we do the same thing now. Instead of rejoicing in what God's doing and he's redeeming, we're arguing over where that last thing, if they, that last thing they said is completely right or wrong. We, we get caught up in the argument instead of the amazing things that God did. Yes, theology is important. Yes, following the Bible is important. That's why we literally preach verse by verse through the Bible. It's so important. But how often do we let what we think is right like completely run over that we're called to love first? We do what's right out of love through love. And these guys can't see it. They just interrogate him. So 
after the formerly blind man explains what happened to them, I want you to see that the, the response was interesting because we give these Pharisees a hard time, but you notice that some of them are immediately like, well, he's a sinner. He's doing this on the Sabbath. But some of them were like, wait, 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 wait a minute. How could a man who's a sinner do these things? Which is the same argument the blind man's going to make to us in a minute. Like, how could a, how could a man who's a sinner, I mean, I know he healed on the Sabbath, but how could a man who can do these things, how could he be a sinner? And so we, we're going to see through the rest of this that there is absolutely a loud majority of people who are screaming really loudly that Jesus is a sinner. But there are some, like we've seen with Nicodemus in the past and others, that are questioning, wait, can this really be? And how often does that still happen in our own churches, in our own culture? The people who yell the loudest get the attention, but that's not really how everybody feels. It seems to be the case going on here, at least somewhat. So after debating this, they actually asked the guy who was healed, shocker, who was there, who felt it, who, who witnessed it. Hey, what do you think about Jesus? We, we've been arguing, what do you think? And he says, I think Jesus is a prophet. And you know that's not going to stand. I don't think for either group that was going to stand. So what do they do? We're not going to read it right now, but 18 through 23, because it's another self-explanatory text. But what they do? Well, Jesus is a sinner. He can't possibly be a prophet. And he probably couldn't even do this healing. So we got to go check this out. So they go to the guy's parents to ask him, because they, right there, they, they think it can't be true. They think he's lying. So they go to his parents. And what do his parents say? Yeah, that's our son. And yeah, he was born blind. And then they say, well, then how did it happen? And do they respond? No, they, they say, no, you can go ask my son. He's an adult. He's of age, meaning he's an adult. He can answer for himself. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time there when we could. We could spend a lot of time here, but we don't have time. But before you give these parents too hard of a time for saying, you can go ask our son, their son's kind of already made his bed because he already shared it all to the Pharisees. But the Pharisees had put such fear in people over Jesus. When it says they were afraid of getting thrown out of the synagogue, think of it as they were afraid of getting thrown out of their life. This is Jewish culture. All their leaders are Jewish. Everything's centered around their, around their religion. You get thrown out of the synagogue, you get thrown out of your life. And so, yeah, maybe they should have stood up for their son, but he's an adult. His bed has already been made, right? They're afraid. The religious leaders have made them afraid of miracles, have made them afraid of the amazing things that God is doing. Again, man, that, what a tragic thing. The people should be celebrating. Their Savior has come. The Messiah has come. He is healing people. He's doing amazing things. No, they're living in fear of even giving a whisper of support. All, they're afraid of even saying, yeah, our son says Jesus healed him. Listen, they don't even know. They don't really know Jesus. This guy doesn't know Jesus, the blind man. He doesn't even know him. And his parents are afraid of even whispering that he was healed by Jesus. That's how dark this thing has gotten. That's how far off track the Pharisees have led the people. All right, we can spend more time there. But I want you to see just how ugly the darkness gets for those who refuse the light. Read verse 24. We're going to read through verse 34. Chapter 9, 24 through 34. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born, who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. And keep in mind, this is not them literally saying give glory to God. They're basically saying, hey, we're here to give God glory, so don't lie. That's what this really means. Don't lie. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. He answered, the blind man answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. 
One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and he does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. And they cast him out. Well, earlier they were asking this man what really happened, right? They already asked him the questions. And, and it seems that the healed man figures out pretty quickly that they're not really interested in getting the truth. They're not really, that's not really why they're asking him questions, but they're using him to try to discredit something that amazing that has just happened to him. He realizes that. And so kind of surprisingly, maybe it's just the way I read it, but it doesn't seem he got kind of salty with them. Like this blind man, he kind of finds his spine and he kind of comes back at them. So um, he says, listen, I already told you exactly what happened. I don't know why you're asking this again. Maybe you want to be his disciples. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I I'm almost positive he knew they didn't want to be Jesus' disciples. I mean, they literally just called Jesus a sinner, right? So he knows. So this is him getting salty. Maybe you want to be his disciples. I mean, you keep asking the same questions over and over. Now, did you see the word that described their response to him? They reviled him. I don't want us to miss like how ugly this is. Do you, do you know what that word means? It literally means to criticize in an abusive, angry, and insulting manner. This man who had just been healed. This man who had been a beggar his whole life and blind his whole life. Simply comes in and says the truth. And says like, what is happening here? Do you want to be his disciples? And they abuse him and, and insult him and are furious with him. These supposed men of God, these are the examples for all Israel to follow. And they revile him for simply sharing the amazing, miraculous, stunning thing that has happened to him. And again, to a man that doesn't even really know Jesus. He doesn't even really know him. Then they respond with, when he says, what, do you want to be his disciples? No, they respond with, no, you're his disciple. I believe there's a theological term for that, for that kind of radical response. I think it's called nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Isn't that what this has come down to? That's like a child's response, isn't it? Well, maybe you want to be a disciple. No, you want to be his disciple. And they said, no, we're, we're disciples of Moses. And you know what the really ironic thing about that is? It's like, no, we're disciples of Moses. Moses talked about Jesus Christ. He pointed to him. The whole law, really, when they say we follow Moses, they mean they follow the Mosaic law. They follow the law. The whole law points to Jesus Christ. Jesus is literally the fulfillment of the law. If they truly were disciples of Moses, then they absolutely would be disciples of Christ. But what they really have for this guy is reviling and a response is just ugly. Then the man does what probably, I hope, any of us would have done. 
I hope most of us would have done in this situation. He defends Christ. Basically saying, how could you so quickly condemn this man and be so against him when he's doing things that have, ne- that have never been done before? And he's, he's at least right about this. No time in the, recorded in the Bible has somebody been healed from being born blind. No one. And so he asked the best, best question. How could a man do all of these things if God wasn't with him? This man was born blind. He is not a scholar. He doesn't have all knowledge, but he has an amazing gift that these religious leaders don't seem to have. You know what that gift is? Common sense. This is the most common sense response ever, isn't it? Like, look at what this man's doing. Like, how could he possibly do these things if God wasn't with him? Now, there's times in Bibles where people do miraculous things like the magicians in Egypt for Pharaoh that do things that people can't explain, right? So the guy's not totally right. This is not a totally biblical response, but he's like, man, maybe, maybe we should take a pause. Maybe we should take a breath and like, actually consider this guy might not be a sinner when he's doing things that have never been done before in all of the world. But listen, church, the darkness is powerful. I bet you felt it in your life before too. The darkness is powerful. The darkness twists our thoughts and it hides the truth and it keeps us away from the truth or those who might share truth with us. So the healed man makes a common sense, sort of biblical response that we should just simply consider this man might not actually be evil. He might not actually actually be a sinner. And what is the response of these holy men, these holy men to that? You were born in utter sin. Listen, trying to insult his very existence, which is exactly what they did to Jesus last week in our chapter last week. They tried to insult his very existence. Then they belittled his intelligence and his worth by saying, who are you to teach us? And then they throw him out of, out of their presence, potentially throwing him out of the synagogue for good. And he did nothing but be miraculously healed, share the truth about a man that he doesn't even really know. These men, these leaders who have been given every opportunity to see the light have chosen darkness, have chosen just darkness, ugliness. And the consequences for those who choose darkness is dire. I want you to look with me in Matthew 23. Can we get Matthew 23 up there? This is Jesus talking to men, not the same occasion, but talking to men just like these. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, listen, exclamation point, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he, comes, when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides. Woe. Listen, they are blind. Jesus makes clear the consequences of choosing the darkness is being shut out of the kingdom of God. Is being shut out of the kingdom of God. Is being a child of hell, destined for an eternity away from God in torment. Make no mistake, Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. It's not even close. And even more so for those leaders who are supposed to be leading people to their heavenly father, he has really hard things to say for them because he's literally saying, you're leading my people straight to hell. 
Listen, we like to think of Jesus as the God of love, as the man of love, and he is, he is that thing. But how unloving would it be for him to not let us know the seriousness God has for sin and the wrath and judgment that comes with it? Good Friday, the cross, Christ's sacrifice on that dark day when the sky went dark, the weight of Jesus crying out from the cross as all of our sin was raining down on him cannot be fully or rightly understood without understanding why it was so desperately needed. And it was desperately needed. And these men so clearly display why God is so against the darkness. Their their hate and their venom and their reviling and their pride is not only attempting to destroy just the beauty and the grace of what God has done in this man by healing him, but they are literally leading people into hell. Of course, Christ is against them. Don't you want him to be? Don't you want him to be against this kind of thing? I want him to be a against this kind of thing. This is, why, this is why God says, I am your avenger. Let me avenge you love. I will avenge. We have to trust Christ with things like this, but we also call out things like this. I'm a guy full of grace and patience and mercy, but as you've probably heard me say before, if I hear a heretic leading people to hell, I'm going to speak up and I might not be quite as kind because that needs to be stopped. People need to know the truth. They can't be led astray like this. As Christians, we're going to have disagreements. We try to work through those things together, right? But this is heresy. This is leading people to hell. And Jesus is calling this out strongly because everything is on the line. Everything is on the line. They may have cast the man that has been healed out of their presence, but if these men do not turn from the darkness in the end, it's going to be them that are going to be cast out. And Jesus makes it clear. And hear me, if this is you, if you're here today and you have not given your life to Christ, you are going to have to bear the weight of all of your sin. All of that darkness, and Christ makes it so clear that that is not going to go well for you. So I just want you to hear me. Please hear me, because this is said out of love for you. In the end, you're going to bear the weight of your sin. And if God is a judge, and that's exactly how Scripture describes God, God is a judge. Listen, judges don't weigh good and bad, do they? Judges just declare if someone is guilty, then they give them the penalty. They determine if you are guilty or not guilty, not weighing some scales versus good and evil. And God in the end is a judge and he's going to say guilty because we are all guilty. Everyone in this room is guilty. And if we don't have Jesus Christ who went to the cross to carry, to bear that guilt for us, we are all in trouble. We all have hell waiting for us. So if you have not made Jesus Christ your savior, please listen, I say this in love. Give your life to Christ. Walk out of the darkness. Walk out of your guilt into his light because he wants to wash it all away. He's calling to you, come. As Jesus says earlier in John 3, he did not come to condemn Jesus' message is not primarily one of warning. He does warn, but that's not his primary message. Jesus' primary message is one of light. Come. We see that in verse 35. Look at it. It's beautiful. We'll close out with with this section. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. 
Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we so blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You know, the healed man in this story was not just blind physically, but spiritually. He needed a savior just as much as everybody else did. He, he was bound to stay in that darkness, but Christ shone his light on this man and he ran to it. He ran to the light out of his blindness. He saw his need for a savior. He knew that God needed to redeem him. And it seems he left his true blindness, his true darkness behind to walk in the light of Jesus Christ. This is the unbelievable truth of the cross that we were blind, that we, cho listen, chose the darkness, that we, we willingly walked in the darkness, that we wanted that darkness, yet Christ saw us there. He saw us there in that darkness, and he brought his light to bear on us, that if we would just turn from our darkness and run to his light, that he would change us, that he would save us, that he would make us new, and he would take us from being a child of darkness to a child of light. Praise God. Jesus said in this text that those who do not see, those who are blind, may see, and those who do see may become blind. Do you know what he means by that? Here's what I mean. Jesus came for sinners. He came for those lost in the darkness. He came for the blind so that by his light, they might leave the darkness and see. They might know and believe. Jesus died on that cross. He shed his blood on that dark day so that he might take all of our darkness, our darkness on himself, pay the cost, and then wash us clean. This is what we celebrate on Good Friday. So that we might walk out of the darkness into the light. The blind, seeing their guilt and having it washed away as they see through Christ's light. But there are those, like in this story, who think they can already see. They think they're good in themselves. They think they already know the answers and they're good to go. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you think you have sight. You think you see. But in the end, you're going to be the ones that are going to prove to have been the blind ones all along. Church, as I say all the time, we have to understand the bad news before we can marvel at the beauty of the good news. These religious leaders, listen, they're showing us the devastation of the darkness in this life, and Jesus confirms the eternal consequences of the darkness in the next. Only by understanding the, the evil of sin, the consequences of hell, can we fully grasp how amazing Jesus Christ is, how amazing it is what he did for us. What an incredible God we serve. What an incredible God that sees all of our evil, that he sees our rebellion, he sees our shame, he sees the things that he is eternally against, yet he still says, come. Listen, come, for I love you, and I want to make you new. I know the things that you've done. I know the things that you've thought, thought but come. I want to take away all of that darkness so that you might walk in my light. Come, and I will forget what you have done, and I will make you a child of light and give you an inheritance forever. Come. What an amazing God that just calls to us. Come. When we understand the depth of the darkness, we understand the glory that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. So church today, whatever is holding you back, 
Whatever is keeping you from moving forward, whatever sin is dragging you back down into the darkness, listen, take it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Do not make your sin, do not make your apathy, do not make whatever it is holding you back more important than what happened on that Good Friday. Because that's what we do. We make how we feel and our sin and our apathy and whatever, we make it more important than the cross of Christ. No, Jesus went to the cross to pay for it all so you can make that ultimate. So whatever it is, you could bring it to the cross and be set free to walk in the light. To move forward, as Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to the call of God. That's who we are. That's who we must be. That's what the cross does for us. You don't deserve it. And God says, who cares? I came to give you grace. Believe in Jesus Christ and I'll wash it all away. Move forward in me because I've got you. And if you don't know Christ, listen, if you don't know Christ, come and talk with me. Maybe today you can walk out of your darkness. You can walk out of your condemnation. You can walk out of your fear of God and you can walk into the newness of life that Jesus Christ has already purchased for you on the cross. Just come. I would love to talk to you about that today as we celebrate Good Friday. And then for everybody else, come back next week. Come back on Easter as we continue to celebrate our good shepherd who is not dead, but praise God, he is alive. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your glorious plan to redeem, to restore, to renew. But God, something that we might not thank you enough for is is thank you for making it clear to us the devastation of sin. From what we lost all the way back in Genesis, our perfection with you and the devastation that sin brought into this world to the devastation of sin in our own lives. God, I, I thank you that you make it clear to us how against sin you are, how against evil you are, so that we might run to you knowing that we're guilty. But also, God, thank you for making it clear because how could we ever understand how good you really are? Jesus, how could we understand the depth of what you've really done without understanding the darkness? And so today, Lord, I just pray that you would help us. I know for so many of us in this room, we're holding on to much of our, holding on to too much of our former life, of our flesh, of the darkness. And your light seems so far away. God, help us to realize that we already have it. That we can walk in it. That you already said it is finished from the cross so that we can move forward and not make it about what we've done in our past, but make it about what you have done and what you could do in our future. God, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you so much for what you were willing to do so that we could be set free, so that we could come to know and believe in you, and so that we could be in your family for an eternity. God, help us to never tire of that story, never tire of the truth of what you've done. And God, help it to live just strongly in our hearts until next week when we celebrate on Easter the beauty of your resurrection. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.